Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. The series that we're looking at is, is really all about what would happen if some of the spiritual disciplines that were very prevalent and part of the early church, but maybe they're, they're lacking now. Maybe they're not really a part of our spiritual ecosystems today. What if we reintroduce those back into our lives? And, and even though some of them seem like they're not really that important, really they seem like maybe they're not going to impact us that much, what is the impact that they would have if we reintroduce some of these? So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at that, uh, just some of the different spiritual disciplines, what would happen if we reintroduce them to our lives and how would it impact and how would it bring health. And today, uh, we're going to be looking at the topic of Sabbath. And already, I can tell people are just so excited, like, whew, I almost... Well, I'm shocked how excited everybody is about Sabbath. And so when I was prepping for this message today, I just thought, God, this is like the least uh, exciting message ever, right? Because when we talk about like the grace of God, people get excited about that. They're like, yes, because they need the grace of God. You know, if we talk about God's love for us, we can get excited about that. You know, so there's several things if we talk about, man, people can get excited. When we talk about Sabbath, it's like, oh, all right, that's fine then. It's kind of like my wife's reaction like on our first date. She's like, oh, it's you. All right, you know. <laughs> Not really. She found me irresistible. Um, but when I, when I look at this message, I feel like it's one that's so appropriate and so necessary for our lives. And when we look at Sabbath, a lot of times we think of it simply as the day we have to go to church. That's the Sabbath. And it's really so much more than that. When we look at the biblical, at uh, the Hebrew view of Sabbath, the, the Hebrew word is Shabbat for Sabbath. And it has a much deeper, richer meaning for Sabbath than just being the day we go to church. Um, it's one of their most important holy days. It's the day that they will almost universally uh, observe the holy day. They will look at that and, and observe that and take it very seriously. They make, it, make sure that it's a priority for them and for their family. And I, I read recently, in the last week, is, I read a passage that said, uh, more than Israel has kept the Shabbat, the Shabbat has kept Israel. And what that statement was saying is that Israel is devout about maintaining the Sabbath, but what they understand is historically the Sabbath has maintained Israel. Does that make sense? So through the years, all the things they've gone through, they have endured that, and largely in part, it's been because of their observance of the Sabbath, because they've honored God, because they've stayed connected with God, because they've had that day of rest in the Lord, it's helped sustain them through the difficult seasons of their existence. And when you look at the word Sabbath, the, the literal meaning means to cease, to quit, to end, to rest, or to cease striving. And so when we look at it in the context of, of that definition, to cease striving, it has a much bigger meaning than just don't do physical labor on the Sabbath. It has a bigger meaning than that, and, and it reaches far into the depths of our souls. So it's not just, hey, don't work and go to church that day. It has a deeper, richer meaning than we could ever really realize when we're just looking at it on the outset. And you look at Exodus chapter 20, Verse 8, this is what it says in the ESV. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And a lot of times pastors will use this verse as a weapon. And they'll say, hey, you shouldn't go on vacation. You've got to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Hey, you, you can't skip church. You've got to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You, you better come to church every Sunday because you've got to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? And so pastors will use it as a, as a weapon at times. But really, the Sabbath isn't even talking about church attendance. 
It's talking about our connection and our relationship with God. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work or do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is in, within your gates. So it says, nobody in your household should do work on the Sabbath. So not you or your wife or your male servant or your female servant or your son or your daughter. And there's probably an exception there. You can make your kids work. That's really the reason God gave us kids was so that they could do stuff around the house when we're resting. So you can make your kids, but you shouldn't, right? But it goes so far as to say, not, not only that, but if you've got guests in your home, they shouldn't work on the Sabbath. So even if they don't observe the same religious precepts that you do, you still should honor God in such a way that you say, nope, we're not going to work. We're going to honor God with that. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now again, God, when he created the heavens and earth and created the universe in six days, it wasn't like at the end of that he was like, Oh, oh God, I'm exhausted. Like, man, I really need a breather. Can, give me just a second. I need today, right? Like, God was fine. But what was he doing? Well, he was setting an example for us, saying, this is the model by which you need to live your life. You need to take a day to rest and relax, but it's not simply a day to rest and relax. It's a day that's supposed to be redeemed for him, that it's supposed to be resting and relaxing in relationship to him. Now, we'll get into some of the do's and don'ts in just a minute, but when we look at this passage, we understand that this is part of the Ten Commandments. This isn't a suggestion. It's not a, well, maybe you could if. This is number four on the Ten Commandments, okay? So when we look at the Ten Commandments, they're basically split between our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And typically, we don't ever wonder if God still means what he said in the Ten Commandments. Like, I don't have anybody ever come into my office and go, well, Mel, what do you think it really means when it says, thou shalt not murder? Like, I've been thinking about it, and would I really be in trouble if I did it? And like, no, you shouldn't do that, right? It's a Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ones. You shouldn't murder. Like, none of us pray in the morning, like, God, help me not to murder someone, you know? Why? Because we know, fundamentally, we're not supposed to live our lives that way. But when it comes to honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, we go, eh, well, I don't know. God, if he, if he knew how busy we were, then he wouldn't care as much. It wouldn't be that big a deal. And God knows I love him. It'll be okay. And we, we justify our work habits and our patterns, and we justify our lack of rest. And I'm talking to a room full of people who, this is a blue-collar group of people. That's one of the reasons I love this church. We are hardworking. We understand what it means to work hard. We have a, a ton of IUP students over here who have no idea what it means to not have something going on in their life. They're studying for tests and working and GREs and all kinds of craziness. We've always all got something going on, don't we? We always are busy. And what God is saying is you have to cease striving. You have to stop trying to do it all yourself. And it's so important to him, he made it a commandment. He, he listed it alongside you shouldn't commit adultery. Like don't have sex with somebody that's not your spouse. And don't kill people. That's how seriously he takes it. But yet we dismiss it because maybe we know better than God. Because it's not about church attendance. It's not about making sure you're at church every Sunday. It's about saying, God, I'm going to take a day. I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to redeem it and give it back to you. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit 
by the fireplace now that it's cold enough we can have fires, right? And so it's not about sitting by your fireplace and like reading your King James version of the Bible and, you know, an ascot and maybe a pipe and like that's just what I'm envisioning and, and reading the Bible out loud all day long. That's not what the Sabbath has to be. The Sabbath can look a lot of different ways and we'll get to that in just a minute. But we don't take the Sabbath seriously. It's not just a day off, but we've hijacked it to create it, to make it a day off for us. And oftentimes, we despiritualize it, and we make it about simply being rest so that we can get back to work on Monday. Does that make sense? Well, hey, this is just so I can rest and I can get back to the, back to the rat race, right? Back to, back to the grind. And that is not what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to, be, to, to, supposed to simply give you energy to live your life throughout the week so you can go back to work to a job you hate and you can't stand. It's not what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about breathing life into you through the Holy Spirit so that you can live out your life in a way that will glorify God. It's not supposed to be simply connected to your work. When we cease from working one day a week, what it does is it points us to the deeper truth in Christ that, that we can cease our striving in him. That we don't have to figure out our salvation on our own. That we don't have to um, make it happen. I don't, I don't have the capacity or the ability to be good enough to go to heaven. I, I can't do it on my own. So what, what our schedule throughout the week does is it reflects that deeper truth that we can't do it on our own. That we give up, that we release some of it and go, okay, God, I need you. And so that one day a week that God says, hey, that seventh day is a Sabbath and keep it holy, what we do is we release that to God and say, okay, God, I got stuff I could probably be doing, but I'm not going to do it because I trust you with my schedule. Um, it's easy for us to trust God with our salvation at times, right? We make a decision for Christ. We tell him we want to be in a relationship with him, and then we are, and we begin serving him, following him, but we trust him with our salvation. We trust him with our soul. But it's tough to trust God with our finances, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you got no margin and you have a, a preacher saying, hey, trust God with your money, you're like, yeah, right, right? Because it's like, come on. But what the principle that's at work in our giving is the same principle that's in work with the Sabbath. Because what God says is, I want you to trust me with your whole life. If I'm really God, you can trust me with your finances. In fact, you can give away 10% of it, and I'm going to make sure you're covered. When you honor me, I'm going to glorify, I'm going to use, I'm going to make it work somehow. And that's what God does. Now, the same principle is true with our time. But the problem is we think about stewardship in terms of our finances, and we don't think about stewardship in terms of our time. But God wants us to be good stewards of our time. And I'm not going to set up a time management class for you to take, and here's what you do. I'm not going to do that. But what God does say is uh, you should manage your time and work your week in such a way that you can have a day to devote strictly to God. Because when we do that, what we're saying is we're acknowledging God is Lord of our time and saying, God, I trust you. and I've got stuff I need to get done, but I trust you to redeem my time and make it fruitful. Does that make sense? But sometimes we fail to do that. And in fact, not only do we fail to do that, we take great pride in not doing that. Probably today, as you came in the church, you said, hey, how you doing today? It's good to see you. How's, how's everything been? And what is the typical answer? Say it with me. We're busy, right? I'm busy. Oh, life's good, but I'm busy. Oh, really? Is there anybody that doesn't think they're busy? Everybody does. Like, <laughs> every, retirees sitting in this room, you don't have a job, but you're still busy, aren't you? 
You still have stuff to do. You still have life to live. You got grandbabies. You got hobbies. You got pursuits. You're busy. We are all busy. We're chronically busy. And God is, I think God wants us to know that he wants us to cease our striving. He wants us to stop and take a rest and take a deep breath in him. Because it's not about our physical rest. It's about our spiritual and emotional rest. And it's about being renewed in him. See, we have this mindset that it all depends on me. Well, I've got to get it done. There's only seven days in a week. There's a finite amount. I've got to get this done. I've got to work harder. I've got to try harder. And what it's doing is it's killing us. And God says, no, no, you've got to trust me more. You've got to allow me to work on your behalf. You've got to allow me to redeem your time. Trusting God is at the core of Sabbath. If we don't trust God, it makes it really hard for us to have a Sabbath in our lives. In Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two to go um, witness to people and go um, cast out demons and go heal the sick. And he had sent them out to go do that. And that was in uh, verse 7 through 13. And then in verse 30, they came back. And this is what it says in Mark chapter 6. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Let me read that in the message version to you. It just makes it a little plainer. This is what it says. It says, The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said, Come off by yourselves, take a break, and get a little rest. For there was constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. Does, does that resonate with anybody? Have you ever had days like that? Where you're so busy you didn't even have time to eat? Like, I've never had a day like that, clearly. Um, but may, maybe you have. Maybe you've been so busy, you're like, man, I didn't even eat lunch today. It's 3 o'clock, and you're like, I didn't even eat lunch today, but I was so busy, I didn't even notice. And this is the state that the disciples were in. Jesus recognized the fact that they were busy, and they were doing good things, weren't they? They were casting demons out of people. They were seeing the sick healed. They were witnessing and sharing the love of Christ. They were doing good things. And Jesus said, We've got to stop, and we've got to go get away. Come, come away with me, and, and you're going to find rest. Come, come with me. Come on, let, let's go get away from all this, and you're going to find rest for your souls. And sometimes we're so fixated on doing good things, and we get so busy doing good things that what we fail to realize is that God wants us to stop even doing good things at times and retreat from that and go get away with him. In the same invitation I think God was, or Jesus was, was issuing to the disciples, he's issuing to us today. He's saying, hey, stop your striving. Cease it. Just, just end it and come away with me. Come, come on, let's just go be by ourselves. Let's just go get away. I want to spend some time with you. I want you to be renewed because if you're going to keep doing good things, you have to be renewed to do the good things. At some point, you're going to run out of gas. You're going to run out of fuel. And what fuels you is not just a day of rest. It's not taking a nap on a Sunday after you go to church. What fuels you is your relationship with Christ. And when we're in an intimate, deep walk with Christ, it fuels our rest. Because the only place we can truly rest is in, in our relationship with God. So he says, come, come away with me. Come off by ourselves. Come on, let's go spend some time together. And you're going to be renewed to continue to do good work. So even if you're doing good things, even if you're doing godly things, there's still a time for us to stop and say, okay, God, I need to be renewed in you. 
It's not even just about our physical health and physical strength. It's about us saying spiritually and emotionally, I'm going to be reset in Christ so that he can be glorified. But again, it's hard because we take so much pride in being busy. And at times it's where we find our identity and it validates us. We feel better about ourselves because we're in motion, but we're maybe not even accomplishing anything. And God says, I want to redeem that. I want you to find rest in me so that you can do good work. In Mark chapter 2, verse 23, it says, One Sabbath, and it's talking about Jesus, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads off of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Don't you love Pharisees? So the law was you shouldn't work on the Sabbath, right? It was, it's, and as a matter of fact, in several times in the Old Testament, you see it's punishable by death. Okay, so for real, they took it seriously, okay? Um, and so the Pharisees see Jesus and his disciples, they're walking on the Sabbath, and they're walking through a field, and the disciples begin to pluck the heads off of grain. And they're just using it as a little snack. That is like, you know... Tree huggers granola right there. Like they're eating the grain straight out of the field. And so they're, they're getting themselves a little snack. They're walking through the field and the Pharisees say, hey, they are breaking the law. And I love what Jesus says here. He doesn't go, oh, you, I'm so sorry. You're, you know what? You're so right. Guys, spit that out right now. Spit it up. Put it down. Peter, put it down, right? What does he do? Jesus, we picture him as a sissy sometimes. You know, he speaks in the British accent. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. You know, like, it's like, come on. He's all thin and frail and his hair is feathered. And like, that's what we picture. But Jesus wasn't a sissy. This, this was a manly man, okay? Um, and this is what he says to them. He said to them, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, but also gave it to those who were with him? He said, okay, have you ever heard of a guy named David, one of the patriarchs of our faith? Did you know what he did? And then he recounts this story of when David broke the law. Because what he's saying is, David, yes, David broke the law, the letter of the law, but he, he maintained the spirit of the law. He, yes, technically he broke the law, but his heart was right and the spirit of the law is what he maintained. And this is what he said in verse 27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I love it. He just like does a verbal slap down on all the Pharisees. He's like, what do you think about that? What do you got to say now? You know, because he says, I'm Lord of everything, even the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what happens is, especially, well, I was about to say, especially in Jewish law, but even for us that, that we're not Jewish, it's easy for us to fall into the, the legalistic side of the Sabbath. It's easy for us to say things like, well, I got to get to church because it's Sabbath. No, you need to get to church because this is the house of God and you can connect with your brothers and sisters in the Lord and we can worship together. We can connect with God. I don't want you to come to church because you have to. I want you to come to church because you want to. And so we fall into this legalistic trap of the Sabbath and what it is. Um, I was talking to one of our friends and, and I don't remember which one of them, but somebody said that they have a friend who's Jewish. They couldn't even push the button on an elevator on the Sabbath. So they get into an elevator, the doors open, they get in, and they got to hope that somebody hits the button they're going to. Like, you know, like, please God. And they hit the elevator lottery. Like, they hit the button, they're like, yes, I've been riding this elevator for four hours. Like, I just want to go to my floor, right? <laughs> well, what happens is they become slaves to the law. 
And that's not what God intended. And matter of fact, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. So what did he mean? He means that the Sabbath is supposed to renew us and invigorate us and rekindle our passions and stir up our passion for God and our faith in him. It's supposed to do something in us and do something for us. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And the Sabbath can look different to different people. You're like, whoa, Mel, I don't like where you're going with this. Um, my dad, he worked highway construction for 30 years. And he was, I mean, he was blue-collar, hard worker. His hands are huge. I mean, his, his fingers are like sausages. They're gigantic. I mean, he's a manly man. I mean, big dude. And he worked six days a week a lot of times. And so on Sunday, he'd go to church, and then he would come home and tip. Sometimes he would do yard work or, or work in the garage or do different things. And my mom's grandpa, my great-grandfather, he was a devout Baptist um, church member and faithful attender. I mean, he was, he was devout. So he would get on to my mom and say, Melvin shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. And what he didn't understand, because he was technically right, but what he didn't understand is that the things that my dad was doing, it wasn't that he was, had to do it, but those are the things that helped him come alive. He enjoyed doing yard work. Like, I didn't get that gifting from him, okay? Um, but he enjoyed doing yard work. Even today, he's got, he's got a big piece of property, and he's got the zero-turn mower that, like, costs more than my first car. Like, and he drives that thing, and he, he's almost 70 years old, but he still enjoys his yard looking good and enjoys doing the work. And, and he has a couple hours where he can just connect with God, where he can just be alone with his thoughts. And so you could say, well, hey, he shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. Or you could say, well, that's something that helps him come alive. And what God is interested in is us coming alive more than he's interested in us maintaining the letter of the law. Does that make sense? So for my dad, he would do yard work on the Sabbath sometimes, on Sunday. But let me mess you up even more. The Sabbath, your Sabbath, does not have to be Sunday. Do you know when my Sabbath is? Friday. Somebody say every day. Some people think that because I'm a pastor. I'm like, I'm sleeping until 10 a.m. every day. I'm like, whoo, drinking iced tea. I'm like, I'm exhausted. No. My Sabbath is Friday. Um, we close our offices down. Uh, my wife is not working. Our girls are in school. And that's a day that, that we can, I can turn off my cell phone. I'm not responding to emails that day. I'm not making appointments. My wife and I are hanging out. We've got a day date. We drop the girls off at school and then we go do something. And the whole day until the time we pick up our girls is spent just hanging out with my wife, spending time with her. And you go, well, no, that's not very spiritual. And I would beg to differ. It's absolutely spiritual. Because what happens when I spend time with my wife is I connect with her in a relationship and, and, and there's something that happens in my relationship with God because of what is happening here. That, that I come alive, that I'm refreshed, that I'm renewed, that I'm reinvigorated to do the things that God has called me to do. Because I'm setting aside time, not just for my wife, but for God. I'm honoring God through our relationship. Does that make sense? So it doesn't have to be Sunday. It doesn't have to be Saturday. It has to be a day, though, or a time that you say, God, I'm going to set aside some time for you. Because you know what? For you, it might be going on a long walk by yourself. It might be um, sitting quietly on your porch. It, it may be you're going to the gym to exercise. You're taking some time, and you're just getting alone with God. And you're hearing his voice, and you're sharing your heart with him. 
It might be family time, maybe small groups. See, we've got a small group in our church that they meet on Sunday afternoons, and they will go out and do family things together. And I love to see their posts on Facebook because they come alive in that. They love doing that. And I would tell you that there is something that's sabbatical about what they're doing that's bringing life and breathing life into those people. Now, you can say, well, it's a church event, but no, I don't think it is. It's a family event for them. And they're growing in relationship with God as they're growing in relationship with others. You know, some of you are going to hate this, but the church I came from, I was off on Friday and my wife worked on Friday. So Fridays was Mel Day. Like, hey, I got nothing to do all day. And so what I would do, I would get the girls off to school. I'd go home and shower, get cleaned up. And then I'd drive, and I was about 20 minutes from downtown Oklahoma City. And I would go to the, the, the downtown, the Bricktown um, Harkins Theater. And I had my frequent flyer cup or whatever they called it, where, you know, you paid $5 the first time. And then after that, you get the refill for a dollar. So I'd bring that cup with me and I'd go to like a 10.30 or 11 a.m. movie. Really didn't even care what movie it was because I would go and I would watch this movie and I was done with the movie. I would go eat lunch and I would do this whole thing by myself. And I'm not a loner, but there was something about being by myself during that time. I didn't have any other demands. I didn't have anybody pulling on me. I didn't have anybody saying, hey, do this. What about this? Take a look at this. I need your opinion about. It was just me having some me time. And at the end of that, I'd go pick up my girls and I'd feel fantastic because I had some time that I could just connect with God and think about the Lord and, and just have quiet. The truth is most of us don't know what quiet is like. We, we have noise going all the time in our lives. We constantly have something happening. If you're a parent of small kids, this is definitely true with you. You got kids, mommy, 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 right? And you like, you hear that in your sleep at night. You're like, good Lord, please just let it stop, right? <laughs> you constantly have something going on. There's, and, and, and man, the younger people, and I sound old when I say this, but they multitask. Like they will watch TV and have music on their iPod and be on their, you know, like their iPad all at once. It's like, wow, what is going on? It's driving me crazy. Well, we love noise. And there's times that God says, you gotta, you gotta stop with the noise and retreat, come away with me and just have some quiet and some solitude. <laughs> I gotta be careful with this one. What if on your, your Shabbat, your Sabbath day, what if? You turned off your cell phone and left it on your nightstand and left the house. <laughs> Somebody's clapping over here, but they're like, I'll never do it, but that is a great idea. <laughs> Somebody should do that, right? What if, what if you didn't look at any social media for a whole day? Like, you would think that I asked you to cut off your own right arm, right? The people are like, there's no way I'm doing that. I'm not going anywhere without my cell phone. But the truth is, there are things in our lives that produce noise and are distraction from what God is trying to reveal to us and what God is trying to speak to us and how God is trying to renew us. There are times that we've got to cease striving and say, God, I need to be renewed in you. Matthew chapter 11. Great passage of scripture. <laughs> I, I, I guess every passage of scripture is a great passage of scripture, but this is, this is one I really like. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, this is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just for your physical body, for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In scripture, um, 
I grew up in a, in a church, we would sing old hymns of the church. And there was a song, um, and I don't remember how it went exactly, so I'm not going to sing it for you. But it talked about um, G- these words that Jesus spoke, and it says, Come to me all, you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when I was a kid, um, I thought it was talking about an egg yolk. And I thought, how big is this chicken? Like, like it's got to be huge, you know? Like, it's a heavy yoke. I don't even know what that means. And, and scripturally speaking, when we look at yoke in Scripture, um, it, it, it could mean a couple of different things. It kind of has a dual meaning. Uh, it's one talking about a yoke that was given by rabbis, and we'll come back to that. But it also means a yoke that um, the parallel is a yoke that was used for cattle. So what they would do is they would yoke cattle together to pull, uh, pull a, a, a plow or you know, pull a heavy object but it was also, that was used to describe the yoke that rabbis had. So what would happen, let me explain this to you. When a young Hebrew boy was being raised, um, he would, they would go through formal, formal training under the law. And they would, they would hear about the scripture, they would grow in their knowledge of scripture, and they would develop, and they would take steps after step. And so there's formal classes, and there's Hebrew names to it, I'm not going to get into all that. But at some point, usually about the age of 14, they would finish their training, they would finish their classes, and then the students that were really exceptional would go on to training as a scribe or, uh, or as a, a rabbi. So they would say, hey, I feel like this is what God is calling me to. I've excelled in my knowledge, and this is what I want to do. And so they would move on to that. The other kids, they would go and get a trade, or they would go and become a carpenter or a laborer or whatever it might be. And there was nothing wrong with that. But the students that would go on to become rabbis or scribes, their next step was to find a rabbi to follow. And so they would have to go out and search for a rabbi. The rabbis weren't looking for them, so they would go and they would find a rabbi, and if they found a rabbi that, that would, was interested in taking them, they would have to test under this rabbi. The rabbi would say, okay, um, hey, why don't you uh, stand up and, and preach a sermon for me, or why don't you recite scripture, or why don't you tell me about this? And they would test these students to find out what they were made of, and if they were good enough, if they met the standards of this rabbi, then the rabbi would invite them to be a student or be a follower of them. And then what would happen, it would get really serious. And then what would happen is these students, they would leave their families behind. They'd say goodbye to their mother and father, and they would follow and live and walk with this rabbi until which time they had graduated and they were able to become a rabbi themselves. And so they devoted their lives to the teachings of the rabbi. They did everything they could to become like the rabbi. And so when, when Jesus said to them, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What he's saying is, I'm different than those rabbis because those rabbis, what they did is they would interpret Scripture and every rabbi's interpretation of Scripture was called a yoke. And they took a lot of pride in making their yoke more rigorous than other rabbis and making it more difficult, making it more challenging, interpreting Scripture in such a way where it, it kind of upped the game a little bit and made their students work a little harder. And so when Jesus came on the scene, he said, hey, hey, are, are you tired? You're worn out? Come to me, because I'm a rabbi, but I'm not going to make you come test for me. I'm seeking you out. And you know what? These other rabbis, their yoke is heavy. It is difficult, and it's hard, but my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let me read it to you in a different way. This is from the message. This is what it says. 
It says, and this is Jesus talking, he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy on, or, or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and light. Our rest is directly related to our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I saw as I was studying this last week, guys, team, you can come on up, come on up if you'd like. One of the things I read this last week as I was studying is there's a Hebrew book called the, the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, one of the prayers that's prayed there, it says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And when I read this, it just, like something kind of came alive in me. Because the picture it's painting is that as these students are following their rabbi, they're following them so closely that the dust that that rabbi is kicking up is covering the student. And I thought, God, how would it be in our lives if the dust from Jesus' feet covered us? If we were following Jesus so closely and so intimately that the dust from his feet was kicked up on us and covered us? Sometimes we take pride in being clean and looking great and putting on a happy face. Hey, brother, hey, brother, things are good. God bless you and saying all the right things. But what if we allowed ourselves to be covered with the dust of our rabbi? What if we followed him so intimately and so closely and our relationship with him was so tight that that's where we found our rest? That we didn't try to do it ourselves. We didn't try to fix our lives on our own. We didn't try to manage our schedule on our own. We said, God, I'm going to submit everything to you. Because that's what students had to do with their rabbis. They gave everything to their rabbi. They said, you know what? You, you're the one who's directing my life now. You're telling me what to learn, what to, what, how to grow, what to become. And I'm trusting you. And in the same way, God's asking us, will you trust Jesus with everything? Will, will we give him our time? Will we trust him to, to give us the rest we need? You know, last week when I talked about joy, um, I told you that our joy is directly related to our relationship with Christ. That the only true joy we find in this world is when we are connected and rooted in relationship with Christ and it develops and, and it blooms. And that's the fruit in our life is the joy that comes from relationship. And there's kind of a similar thought in that way when it comes to our Sabbath. And it was this, the more we connect with God, the easier it is to find rest. But the more we find rest in God, the easier it is to connect with him. So the more we say, God, I'm gonna find my place in you. I'm gonna find my rest in you. I'm gonna be renewed in you. I'm gonna take my energy and my talents and all these things and I'm gonna let you redeem it for your glory. And I'm gonna find my rest in you. It's gonna look differently for everyone. But when we do that, find and we discover this intimacy with God that we didn't have before. And it makes it even easier for us to find rest in him. You know, with my wife, and, you know, typically when I do a wedding, I will use Ephesians chapter five. And I've preached this here before, but um, it talks in Ephesians five about how wives should submit to their husbands. But it also goes on to say that husbands should love their wives sacrificially. And so what I say in weddings usually is that when wives submit to their husbands, it makes it easier for their husbands to love their wives sacrificially. They don't wait on the other to make it happen. And, and the husbands should love their wives sacrificially. And then the wives, it makes it easier for them to, to submit to their husbands. Does that make sense? 
And so what happens is the cycle never gets started because they think, well, if he would just do this, then if he would just love me sacrificially, then I would submit to him. And the husband thinks, well, if she would just submit to me, I'd love her sacrificially. And then nothing happens. There's no movement. But if one step is taken, if one woman will say, you know what, I'm going to submit to my husband. I'm going to believe that God will help him love sacrificially. Or one man would say, you know what, my wife's not submitting in godly authority, but I'm going to love her sacrificially anyway, and I'm going to see what God will do. It breaks that cycle. And the same thing is true here. Sometimes we want God to give us rest, and we want to be intimate with him, but the truth is we don't break that cycle. And if we would just say, God, I'm going to allow you to redeem my time, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you time to find deep rest in you, then we're going to find and discover intimacy with God like never before. If we'll simply break that cycle and say, God, I'm going to honor you with my time and I'm going to find rest in you alone. You know, there's a guy named Perry Noble. He's a pastor of a really large church in uh, Georgia. And he said this recently. Um, he said, people who don't work hard are called lazy by God. But people who work too much are called disobedient by God. Let that sink in for a second. We take a lot of pride in working hard. And that's work ethic of Western PA. We work hard. We get dirt on our face. We, we do those things, right? When we find our identity there, we're in trouble. When, when we allow ourselves to be workaholics at the expense of a relationship with God and with the people around us, we're in trouble. So I just want to challenge you today. Don't be disobedient to what God's asking you to do. Be obedient and see what God will do. Now listen, my challenge to you is this. Um, I don't know what your week looks like, but I want to challenge you to take a day this week at some point and devote it to God. That doesn't mean you have to sit with your Bible open on your lap and read and pray. It doesn't mean it's got to look a certain way, but it means you're going to be intentional about what you do that day and how it relates to your relationship with God. Now, I'm not going to come back and test you later to see if you did it, but I'm telling you, if you will do it, you're going to love it. It's going to change you fundamentally if you'll do that and trust God with your time and allow him to give you rest through it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to set an example for us and to show us that we need rest. Lord, not just, not just physical rest, but emotional and spiritual rest in you. Lord, I pray that we would understand that the only place we're really going to find true rest is in your arms. So Lord, I pray that we would not be resistant to doing the things you want us to do. But Lord, you'd help us be obedient to, to setting aside times to find rest in you. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't take pride in our busyness or in our schedules. But Lord, I pray that we would give our schedules to you. And Lord, I pray as we do, we would be covered in the dust of the rabbi. Lord, have your way with us over the next few minutes. Be glorified here. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask you, if you're here today, and you say, Mel, the truth is, I, I don't even really have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you know formal religion. Maybe you've gone through the motions. But today you say, I, I want to really know him. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and say, pray for me? I'm not going to make you come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. So if you're here today and you say, I want to know God. I want to have a relationship with Jesus. If that's you. Would you just put your hand up? Let me pray with you today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven, but the truth is I, I'm terrible at honoring the Sabbath and I need God's help. I need God's help honoring him with my time and resting in him. And I, I need God to help me with that today. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me. Thank you, a whole bunch of hands. All right, let me pray with you. Lord, thank you so much 
I pray right now for the people that raise their hands that they need your help. I just pray your Holy Spirit would give them wisdom and discernment, give them guidance. Lord, I pray that you'd help them make tough choices on what to do and what not to do. Lord, help them carve out time in their schedule. Lord, not just to, to rest or to stop, but to find rest in you. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be about us finding our identity in our work or in our schedules or how busy we are, but Lord, let us find our identity in you and you alone. I pray that as we do, you'd be glorified in us. And Lord, let us come alive in you like never before. Lord, let us find our rest and our wholeness in you and you alone. So Lord, I pray for every person that raised their hand. Lord, I pray today you'd give them ideas, you'd give them insight on how they can apply this to their lives and how they can live this principle out every single day. And I pray as they do, they'd grow in their relationship with you and they would know you in a deeper, richer way than ever before. So Lord, thank you that your desire is to know us You want to have a relationship with us. And this is just one of those ways. So God, let us honor you in it so we can know you more. In the name of Jesus, we pray.